Welcome to this week's episode of the Big Book Living Alive podcast, a weekly podcast showcasing the 1993 Big Book Seminar presented by Joe and Charlie in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. I am your host, Brad S., and I am an alcoholic. Do not tarry in your journey to get to the fourth step. There, I'm using Bill's technique against you. I'm using different words that mean the same thing. Terry also means to delay. But it is important that I get to my steps in an orderly, timely manner. I didn't stop. I didn't delay. My sponsor wouldn't let me, which was pretty much what your sponsor is supposed to do. We need to keep moving forward, or we will look back and start thinking about, hmm, that wasn't so bad. What it was horrible and horrific and awful and terrible. Hmm, those times weren't so bad when they meant jail and courts and law and loss of friends and family. So yeah, it was that bad. So don't look back, don't turn back, move forward. And let's hear what Joe and Charlie have to say about keeping moving forward. The bottom page 63. You have another comment, Joe? Mm. Next, that's right after we do step three. Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning, <clears throat> which many of us have never attempted. Though our decision, step, step three, was a vital and crucial step. It could have little permanent effect unless at once, followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things which had been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. And what were the things that were blocking us? Charlie mentioned them in his little storage cabinets and file cabinets in the storage room. The thing that was blocking me off was my resentment, my fear, and the harms and the guilt and shame and remorse I'd done to others. Those are the things that I need to look at because this is what's been blocking me off from God as I understand him and, and other people. And so I need to know how to operate with these, these things. And that's basically what the fourth step is about. In the paragraph that Joe just read, he gives us the time element between step three and step four. We hear that question all the time. How long should you wait after step three before you do step four? And we hear all kind of answers, 90 days and six months. And we heard a so-called professional in the field not too long ago counseling people to wait a minimum of two years. And our question back to that person was, how damn many people have you killed with that statement? We're trying to find a little bit of peace of mind, serenity, and happiness. And every day we procrastinate on step four is another day we're filled with restlessness, irritability, discontent, shame, fear, guilt, and remorse. Every day we procrastinate is a day closer to the time we're probably going to end up getting drunk again. And I really don't know how long I could go under those conditions, and frankly, I'm not interested in finding out. Bill tells us step three is not going to have any effect, permanent effect, unless followed at once by step four. Now, I think that means as soon as you do three, you're ready to get right into step four. And three is going to disappear if you don't. And I think the reason for that is in three, we've got just enough self-removed to give us an opportunity to start in step four. But if we procrastinate, self's going to come back, and self's going to say, well, 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 we really probably don't need to do this. 
Or self's going to say, I don't dare do this. And self will keep us procrastinating until such time as we end up drunk all over again. Bill says we ought to do it at once. Now, why don't we do it at once? I think there's several reasons. Joe mentioned one, fear. Some of us in AA have made step four into a very fearful thing. And we tend to tell the newcomer, boy, you just wait till you get to step four. And blah, 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 we scare them to death. Well, really, there's nothing to be afraid of in step four at all, done the way the big book says to do it. I think the real problem is misunderstanding and confusion on how to do step four. And in our misunderstanding and confusion on how to do step four, some of us read over here in step five something about sharing all your life story. And we said, oh, that must be what they want us to do, was write our life story in step four. And that's what many of us did. That's what I did in the beginning. Now, I don't know how important my life story was to other people. It must have been pretty important to me. It had about 78 pages in it. I took it to another guy. He read it, said, not very pretty, is it? And I said, no. And he said, you'll never have to be that way again. He threw it in a waste paper basket. And I didn't learn anything new by doing that at all. And the reason I didn't learn anything new about me is I already knew everything I wrote down, so nothing new came from that. And today, as I look back at that time, I realize that probably 95% of my life story doesn't have anything to do with my alcoholism anyhow. The fact that I was born in 1929, I think it's got a thing to do with my alcoholism. It may have with some other people's alcoholism, <laughs> but I don't think it had anything to do with mine. The fact that I graduated from high school and I was 17 years old, I don't think it's got a thing to do with my alcoholism. The fact that I went into service immediately after graduation from high school, I don't think it's got anything to do with my alcoholism. The fact that I was married at age 21, I don't think it's got anything to do with my alcoholism, but I'll tell you what it did do. The 95% that had nothing to do with it very effectively covered up the 5% that did, and I could see nothing in my life story to contribute to my alcoholism. So in our confusion, somebody in Minneapolis, Minnesota wrote a four-step inventory guide. We took the Minneapolis guide, combined it with a big book, and we got more confused yet. Then somebody in Dallas, Texas wrote a four-step inventory guide. We took the Dallas guide, combined it with the Minneapolis guide, combined it with the big book, and got more confused yet. I don't know how many guides are floating around today. We saw one not too long ago that had 21 pages in it. And I'll guarantee you, if you wasn't crazy as hell before you took it, you would be when you were through with this one. All the time, the instructions have been here in the big book. But they're so, so short and so simple that we alcoholics with our keen intellectual alcoholic minds looking for something more complicated have been able to overlook the simplicity of step four for many, many years. I think that's one thing that's part of the problem. The other thing is we did not realize how Bill Wilson writes. We didn't realize that Bill tells us little stories about something we already know about to teach us something that he wants, to, to, wants us to learn new. We saw him do it with a great ocean liner the moment after rescue from shipwreck. In the 1930s, that was the popular mode of travel. In the 1930s, everybody understood the Titanic and the iceberg, and everybody, Bill knew people would know what he meant. He does the same thing to us here in the book. He's going to tell us how to take a business inventory. He's going to assume we know something about a business inventory. 
And when he's through talking about a business inventory, he turns around and says, now I want you to do the same thing with your lives that I just told you what to do with the business inventory. And when we see that, it's going to make it very simple to understand what he wants us to do. The other thing we didn't realize is that Bill loves to use words that mean the same thing. Rather than repeat himself over and over, he always finds a different word that means the same thing that he just said a while ago. We saw him do that in the appendix, in, in appendix 2, talking about the spiritual experience, how many times he said change and how many different ways he said it. He does that all the way through the book. Now, if you don't understand that, then he confuses you. But when you once understand that, then this thing becomes absolutely clear. Now, with that idea in mind, let's start looking at a few words and a few ideas. He says, therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. Immediately, though, he jumps into business. He said, a business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Now, I think his first valid comparison is this. If you had a business, and let's say it's selling ladies' purses, men's watches, bicycles, whatever, makes no difference, that if you had a business and you didn't inventory once in a while, you'd probably go broke. Because if you didn't inventory, you wouldn't know what's been stolen out of your store and you didn't get paid for. You wouldn't know what's been sold and you need to reorder to put something back in stock. You wouldn't know what's become damaged and been sitting there for months, and nobody wants to buy it. It's taken up valuable floor space and shelf space. You're probably paying interest on borrowed money, and it's costing you money every day that damaged goods sets in the store. If you didn't take inventory once in a while, you wouldn't know what's become out of style, and nobody wants to buy it, and it's sitting there day after day after day. You should put it on sale and get rid of it, but you wouldn't know that if you didn't inventory. Now, in our personal lives, we have a business too, and we've got the most important business in the world as far as we're concerned, and our business is the business of finding a way to live where we can find a little peace of mind and serenity and happiness so we'll be able to stay sober. And if we don't inventory once in a while, we're probably going to go broke also. So I think his first valid comparison is whether we're talking about a business inventory or a personal inventory without it, we're probably going to go broke. Now then he's going to tell us how to take the business inventory. Watch him. Taking a commercial inventory, now Dad burned him. He could have said business again, but he doesn't like to do that, so he'll say commercial this time, meaning, see what he does to us? And when you pick that up, it makes it easy to understand him. What we're getting ready to do, Joe's put up here on the screen a little picture. You've got it, too. We've divided it into two sides, one side business, the other side personal. And we're going to take some words out of the big book and put them on that screen. He says, taking a business inventory, a commercial inventory, is a fact-finding, and we're putting fact-finding on the screen, and a fact-facing process, and we're putting fact-facing on the screen. It is an effort to discover the truth, and we're putting truth on the screen, about the stock in trade, and we're putting stock in trade on the screen. The stock in trade, that's the items that are in the store for sale. 
the ladies' purses, the men's watches, the bicycles, whatever it is. He said one object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods, and we're putting damaged and unsaleable goods on the screen, and to get rid of them promptly and without regret. And we're putting promptly and without regret on the screen. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. He's going to have to be honest. Give in, give up, give away. Make sure that we're willing to change. Oh, my goodness. That's overwhelming. I can't do that alone. See step three. Before we set ourselves up for failure on step four, we need to take a moment and say, wait a minute, what am I truly doing? I am looking at myself, my particular faults, as Joe would say, what's broken? What did I break? What what do I need to get rid of? And I'm reminded of a lot of these shows about hoarding where you see people come in and they try to save someone from a lifetime of collection of garbage. And I know you get to the end of the show and you see a cleaned room or two, but there's still the rest of the house that needs cleaned. So make sure when you do your fourth that you are thorough and complete because the more you do at the beginning, the better it will be in the end. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. If you'd like just the raw Joe and Charlie portion of the podcast, that is available on our Patreon site. The link to that is available on our website or in the pinned comment. Until next week, this is the Big Book Living Alive Joe and Charlie podcast.